Hello everyone, welcome back to Fear. Today I have one of my Fear the Pasta mini-series going on where I look through Reddit and other creepypasta websites and find really good stories that I find extremely interesting and hopefully find some series that we can really get into. And this week I've got three different ones that are really, really different. So one's kind of like The Rake. One's a really interesting original story about uh, some kind of freaky ghost that has a bunch of rules. And then the other one's about Robert the Doll, which I'm sure a lot of you actually heard about. So this Fear the Pasta thing is only going to be here to supplement my other main series, which is the Lost Generation, which is the, the main focus, the main driving story of this actual podcast. But I enjoy these creepypastas and these little stories so damn much that I really wanted to bring them to the audio specter because not everybody has time to sit around and read Reddit all day and find good stories to check out. So hopefully I can help you guys on your commute or whatever you're doing, walking around, maybe you're working on the dishes, whatever you're doing. Most of the time when I'm listening to podcasts, I'm just either doing the dishes, taking my dog for a walk, on the commute into work, something like that. So I'm hoping to make your commute a little more interesting. So without further ado, I want to bring you into the first story, which is Robert the Doll. Robert the Doll. In the late 1800s, Thomas Otto and his family moved into a mansion at the corner of Eaton and Simonton Streets in Key West, Florida, known as the Artist House. The Ottos were known to be stern with their servants, sometimes even mistreating them. It was the mistreatment of one such Haitian servant that provides a twist in this story. This woman was hired to take care of their son, Robert. One day, Mrs. Otto supposedly witnessed her practicing black magic in their backyard and fired her. Before she left, the woman gave Robert a lifelike doll which stood three feet tall, had button for, buttons for eyes, human hair, believed to be Robert's, and was filled with straw. Dolls that resembled children were not unheard of during this time, but this one proved to be special. Robert named the doll after himself and often dressed it in the same clothes as him. Robert the doll became his trustworthy companion. He took it with him on shopping trips into town. The doll had a seat at the dinner table where Robert would sneak at bits of food when his parents were looking. Robert would even t be tucked into bed with the boy at night. Soon this innocent relationship took on a strange nature. Soon after, Robert chose to be referred to by his middle name, Jean. After being scolded by his mother, he told her that Robert was the doll's name, not his. Jean was often heard in his toy room having conversations with Robert. Jean would some say something in his childish manner, and the responses could be heard in a much lower tone. Sometimes Jean would become very agitated, worrying the servants and his mother. She would, on occasion, burst in to find her son cowering in the corner while Robert sat perched in a chair or on the bed glaring at him. Glaring at him. This was only the beginning. Household objects would be found thrown across the room. Jean's toys turned up mutilated, and giggling would be heard. Whenever these unusual acts took place, Jean always said, Robert did it. The boy took the punishment, but always insisted that the blame was Robert's. As the mischief grew, more and more servants took their leave as new ones were hired. The Otto's relatives felt it was time to do something. With the recommendation of a great aunt, Jean's parents removed Robert from his care and placed him in a box in the attic. This is where he resided for many years. After the death of his father, Jean was willed his boyhood home. He decided to live in the Victorian mansion 
with his new wife. Gene had become an artist and felt the house was spacious and would provide a place for him to paint. He went to the attic and dusted off his childhood toy. He became attached to the doll despite his wife's displeasure. Gene would take the doll along with them everywhere they went. He would even sit in their favorite little chair where, while Gene and his wife slept nearby. The turret room became Robert's domain after Mrs. Otto moved him back to the attic. Their marriage slowly became sour until Mrs. Otto supposedly went insane and, and died of unknown reasons. Gene followed soon behind. Robert supposedly attacked people, sometimes locked him in the attic. People who passed by claimed to hear evil laughter coming from the turret room. For some time, Robert remained in the empty room by himself until a new family purchased the mansion and restored it. The doll was once again moved into the attic. This pleased it as much as the last time. Or this pleased it as much as the last time. The doll was often found throughout the house. On one certain night, Robert was found at the foot of the owner's bed, giggling with a kitchen knife in the hand. This was enough to send them fleeing from the home. Robert was later moved into the East Mar- Martello Museum in Key West, where he says perched in a glass box. Despite his new living quarters, the doll is believed to not have given up his menacing ways. Visitors and employees claim they have seen the doll move. His smile has been known to turn into a scowl. One employee cleaned Robert, turned off all the lights, and left for the night. The next day he returned, the lights turned on, Robert sitting in a different position than the night before, and a fresh layer of dust in his shoes. Some say he'll, he'll even curse you. If you want to take a picture of him, you must ask politely. He'll tilt his head in permission. However, if he doesn't, and you take the picture anyway, a curse will befall you and anyone who accompanies or accompany you to the museum. The same will happen if you make fun of him. To this day, Robert remains at the East Martello Museum in his sailor suit, clutching his stuffed lion, continuing his menacing ways. is about these weird, random doll stories but they freak me out like crazy it's not even physically seeing the dolls that scares me it's these random powers that are allocated to these dolls like the annabelle doll where it's basically a little demon walking around killing people the same goes for the robert the doll where he can just curse you from any place anywhere it almost feels like uh for example like the grudge where if you go into a freaking house you don't even know if it's actually bad or not and just by walking into it, all of a sudden the sucker is attached to you. Same goes for these dolls. You piss them off somehow, or you th- they think that you're weak, or I don't know, they get attached to you somehow, and there's no freaking way you can deal with it. It's, I don't know, like, I, I have a hard time dealing with something like that when it's something you can't even freaking fight or anything like that. Same with, like, The Ring. That's why, what is it, between The Grudge and The Ring, those movies scare the living hell out of me. Because it's an evil you cannot fight. It's not like a monster where you can kill. And speaking of monsters, that goes perfectly into our next story where this thing's basically... I don't know, I get rake vibes out of this thing, but you tell me what you think. In our next story, we've got a girl who sees some really messed up crap in her family's security cameras. So without further ado, here's the story. After that night, I wish we didn't put security cameras outside by Isabella Borg, 2001. 
I know I shouldn't have looked at the camera footage from outside my home. That I should have just gone about my day just as I always have. I should have just accepted the idea of bugs or random animals triggering the lights outside. Maybe then I'd be able to sleep easier at night. And it wouldn't smile at me the way it does. It was midsummer, and it was about the second time our cars had been broken into. My parents, of course, were not happy with the invasion of privacy, and neither was I. Though the robber never seemed to steal anything, they just left our vehicles a total disaster. But nonetheless, it was a bit unsettling to have some random stranger rummaging around them. That's the moment they chose to install our two security cameras outside the house. They made sure our cars were all in view in case another intruder broke in. Then we would be able to look back at the footage and show police if it ever happened again. After a few days had passed, I started to be filled with the overwhelming temptation to check back on the camera footage from the past night. Maybe we would catch whatever was constantly triggering our motion lights outside. Whatever it was that we never caught when we randomly chose to check outside. Which was pretty rare, as we simply accepted the idea that it was nature going about its business, so we did the same. All I knew was how uncomfortable I felt deep down every time I saw the flicker of the lights coming up outside late at night. I had no reason to, but I felt the slightest bit afraid, almost if I already knew what was out there. But then again, I really didn't. It was a churning feeling within my gut that ebbed me very gently. My parents never seemed to be quite as worked up or as curious as me about the reason for the lights being triggered. Maybe I was just being anxious at heart, as much as I was curious, or maybe it just wanted me to know it was there. My mother had always told me the worn-out phrase of curiosity killed the cat, but I was always naturally a very curious cat. I wanted to know everything and anything I could, and was always a bit nosy to be honest. And that's exactly what led me to the security camera footage that evening. An evening I'll never forget no matter how hard I try. Our cameras weren't on our TV 24 hours like they would be in something like a security room. In order to view it, you had to switch from our cable TV to our HDMI 2 with the remote. From there, you could see all the footage saved up for two weeks. Anytime it caught something moving within the frame, it saved the video. I instantly clicked on a saved video from the night before, expecting to see possibly a cute raccoon or a stray roaming cat. Everything on the camera looked completely normal. Because it was dark out, the camera was in night vision mode, which meant it showed no color, just shades of black, gray, and white. Our three cars were in view of the two cameras aimed toward the driveway, and no person or animal could be seen wandering around. That is until something caught my eye from the side of the neighbor's yard, right next to our driveway. It was dark and hard to make out since the sensor lights hadn't turned on yet, but it seemed like a large, lanky person on all fours. The way they crouched out was almost uncomfortable to look at. If it was a real person, they would have been breaking their arms and legs as they curved inwards. At that moment, its eyes shot towards the camera. I felt my heart fall in the pit of my stomach. The footage was from the night before, and yet I felt like it was looking at me, as if it was boring its glowing eyes to my soul searching without my permission. It finally began to move after a couple moments. Its movements were slow and drawled out at points. The center of its body seemed to crouch closer to the ground as it moved, circling its head to scan its surroundings in an unsettling manner. Almost like a mix between a snake and a bobblehead, no matter how odd it may sound. The moment one of its arms made contact with the pavement of our driveway, that's when the sensor lights triggered. The sudden brightness was enough to cause me to shut my eyes tightly as it filled the entire screen with pure white before it adjusted. Once the camera had adjusted the intense light as well as my own eyes, the sight before me couldn't have sent me into a full-blown panic attack if it wasn't a recording from the night before. It was now somehow attached to the side of the garage, close enough to one of the two cameras for the entire face to fill the frame. Its eyes were bright and bloodshot as it continued to stare at the electronic device. The feeling of its eyes lingering on me somehow still filled me, causing me to check behind me now and then. 
It had no nose, just smooth, sickly, greasy white skin that continued all along its head. The pitch black mouth was what really scared me for some reason. It hardly really looked like a mouth, as it was almost a horrible abyss of a black hole you wouldn't want to get caught inside of. Its grotesque, whitish skin even continued on past its face, acting as teeth in some way. Its jagged, sharp, leathery-looking teeth that sent horrific chills up my spine. As I turned to make another quick glance behind me, just in case, the sound of something tapping against the glass came from the television. The moment I turned back around the camera was totally black. That is, until I saw its long, darkening fingers slowly pulling away from the lens. I didn't want to think it, but I almost knew the dark stuff spattered against the skin of his blood. I didn't want to think about whether or not it was old or new. Once its skinny fingers had fully left the frame, it revealed its disgusting black mass of mouth pulling up into a grin. If I could even call it that. The intention within its facial gesture was one that you see a psychotic serial killer pull. One that you'd see right before you die. A thundering thud abruptly sounded behind me, causing me to let out a breathy scream as I spun around, loosing my footing and tumbling onto the floor below. I didn't think you were so afraid of large parcels, my dad said in a mocking manner. The moment I stood back up and looked back at the video, it was gone and the video was back to being live somehow. The joyful sun radiating against the pavement and cars. I don't know what the hell I saw on the security cameras recording that day, and I think I'm better off that way. Sometimes when I walk downstairs in the middle of the night, I go to the security camera television and check for just a moment. And just like it knows I'll be looking, it's there every time, still smiling at me like it did in the recording. I don't think anything could possibly happen since we seem to have been living in a harmony for years without even knowing it. But now that I know I've seen it, I'm scared that it'll somehow end up being the newest blood painted against its long fingers. See, for this one, I know this one didn't bother me at all when I was reading it, but I know it, it was the same thing that happened with, like, The Rake. So I read The Rake, and it was kind of spooky to read. It, it was what it was. It was it was, it was was a pretty good little monster story, but it's one of those ones that it's, it, like, freaks you out while you're laying in bed. It's not even, it's a slow burn one. It's like, ah, that wasn't that big a deal. And then you're laying in bed, and you're constantly seeing crap at the end of your freaking bed, or walking around in the freaking hallways. You're just freaked out. I gotta have every freaking light in the house on. I gotta have my phone on. I gotta be listening to something funny on my phone just so I can make it through the hallway. It's one of those stories where it's not even so much the story scary. It's just the thought of it. Walking around or having to deal with some kind of entity that you're not even aware that's there, but is 100% aware that you're there and is almost like screwing with you. That's worse. At least for this one, it doesn't show that it's aggressive like the rake does, where it just shows up and freaking rips you up. But uh, that's not to say that it won't be evil. <laughs> so, I don't know. So, I have one more story for you. And this one, out of the three, this one's got a series to it. So, this one's an eight-parter over on Reddit. And it is really cool. Like, it's the, the concept behind it is really neat. I'm not sure if it's a ghost or some kind of creature or an entity. I, I don't know how to explain it, but this is a story I would be very interested in doing. Maybe every week I'll do a, one little part of it each week because the story itself is, is, I don't know, the way it's written, it just, it, it feels good to me. It's a nice little spooky story. Actually reading it's kind of spooky and it just lets you theory craft. I love any kind of story that lets you just sit there and theory craft, but that's enough of me rambling. Here comes the story. 
The band in my basement takes one step closer every week by Polterkites. One, he will begin in the furthest corner of your basement. If you see him, do not overreact. He may decide to move on. If the intruder decides to stay, he will take one step closer each week. Three, do not attempt to speak to him, hurt him, or get third parties involved. Four, any violation of rule three generally results in several quick steps forward, depending on the severity of transgression. Five, barricading the doors is acceptable. This will slow him down, but the process will be very loud, difficult to sleep. Six, to others, the intruder will appear as a mannequin, or a rubber dummy, or a coat hanger, etc. Do not let guests near him. Seven, the intruder will not move so long as you have guests in the house. Guests who actually want to be there. Once I had an old friend sleep on the couch for three months and the intruder didn't move a step. Eight, you can leave the house, but never sleep anywhere else. Never make plans to move, even browsing for houses online, etc. The importance of this rule cannot be overstated. A side note, general notes. None of these rules are set in stone. The intruder seems to evolve and react depending on your actions. Personally, I recommend measuring the distance from him to the furthest corner of your house. Calculate how long it will take him to reach you. Set up your bedroom as far away as possible. Once moved, do not move your bed again. You must sleep there from now on. Please note that sometimes he will leave his station and wander up into the house. Do your best to ignore him. He will always return to the last places he left off. Reading the typo-ridden laundry list of absurd rules left on my doorstep, I chuckled myself. Obviously conjured up by some kid with too much free time. Had to give them some props for creativity, though. I stepped back inside, folded up the note, and tucked it away. Either way, it was preferable to getting toilet paper. I slumped into the living room couch and resumed watching the game. I had just moved to the neighborhood. Owning a house of my own had been a life's goal of mine since I was 18. Now, after 15 years of working, saving, and taking on crippling debt, I finally had a house. A killer deal on a modern 1980 two-story with a basement and a backyard swimming pool. The main floor was an open design, kitchen, living room, and an entrance hallway that led to the upstairs. Upstairs was a short alcove with three doors, master bedroom, guest room, and washroom. This house was the only thing in my lonely life I felt proud. Something caught the corner of my eye. Across the living room, in the front entrance hallway, the basement door was cracked open. A slit of pitch black. I ended up turning back to the TV. Probably forgot to close it earlier. Shaking it off, I focused on the game as much as I could. A cracked open door lurked in my peripheral all the while. It felt like I was being watched. I pushed up from the couch, marched across the room, pulled the door shut and marched back. Embarrassed, I slumped into the couch and swung my feet up on the coffee table. Maybe that note was getting to me. Maybe whoever wrote it wasn't done messing with me yet. I almost jumped to the pounding my front door. Muting the TV, I begrudgingly got up and hauled over. I opened the door and a smiling man greeted me. He was five foot tall, round and wearing a bright green Hawaiian t-shirt with his matching cargo shorts, vaguely reminding me of the Batman's penguin. Sir, he said, a forced smile plastered to his face. Hello, I replied. I'm so sorry to bother you, he said, looking down at the shoes, studying. Someone's been leaving notes on the doorsteps out here and since you're new, he looked up, glanced back over his shoulder, then back to me. I just wanted to warn you. About what? The smile on his face turned grim. The notes, he said, pausing for effect. There's a... He searched for the words. There's a mentally unstable gentleman in the neighborhood. Okay. His father... He glanced back over his shoulder again. His father lived in the house across the street from you. 
An overgrown one-story box of house, it almost looked abandoned. When his father passed away, the son, he looked back to me. He started writing notes, handing them around the neighborhood. I set my hand on the pocket where I tucked away the note. The son, if you see him, he's harmless. And the notes, well, of course they're nonsense, he chuckled. I pulled the note out from my pocket. Yeah, I was wondering, I said, carefully unfolding the paper. The man's eyes filled with concern. Rule one, I read aloud. He will, please, he stammered. I raised an eyebrow. I've, I've read enough of those for a while, he said, rubbing his forehead with the back of his thumb. They're harmless, but also kind of, he looked around again, searching for words. Creepy, I said. His eyes lit up. Yes, creepy. What a great word. Creepy, he marveled, weirdly impressed. I felt like he knew something and he wasn't telling me. Not out of secrecy, but out of fear. Anyways, he continued, I just wanted to let you know, don't worry about the notes. They're ridiculous, of course. Of course, I said. Well, I best, uh... For the third time, he searched for words. Leaving? I said. Yeah. He laughed and wagged a finger at me. I must say, you're really... Really good with words. He shook his head like I'd pull off some kind of magic trick. I try, I said skeptically, though he seemed sincere. Howie, by the way, he shot his hand out for a handshake. I stepped back a little. The pandemic was still in full swing. Oh, of course, he said, his face turning red. He shook his head again, still not used to it. It's all good, I said. I'm Brandon, by the way. Brandon, he said, smiling again and turning away. I stood there in the door watching him leave, dumbfounded by the strange conversation. As he stepped onto the road, I stepped back into my house and pulled the door shut. Strolling back into the living room, I slumped down on the couch. Fuck. My team was losing. When the game finished, it was dark out. Three to one against me, of course. I turned off the TV and stretched up my arms and pushed off the couch. I froze. The basement door was open again. Wide open this time. A few long seconds crept by until I finally stepped forward. I know. Shut the door. I stood at the top of the stairs below me. Everything faded into uninvited darkness. I flicked on the light and orange glow stuttered to life. Beige cream walls and scratchy carpet. The stairs went down about 20 steps, then took a hard turn to the left. I'd only been in the basement twice since I moved in. Nothing but unopened boxes down there. I pulled the door shut and went up to my bedroom. Crawled into bed. I flicked off the light and shut my eyes. Maybe the door was just broken. A bump in the night startled me awake. I checked the time. 2.58 a.m. Faint moonlight cast through the windows. Unopened moon boxes crowded my room like a cardboard metropolis. The night was silent. Still half asleep, I sat up on the edge of my bed, staring at the closet door. A door that reminded me of my childhood bedroom. One of the many bedrooms due to moving around so often. A sliding door with fake cherry wood vinyl coverings and... Something downstairs moved. Seven quick thumbs creaked across the hardwood floor. Clicking. Almost like dog feet, only heavier. I cursed under my breath, fully awake now. The reasonable part of my mind wondering if a raccoon snuck inside. I pushed up from my bed and marched up with a stack of boxes in the corner. No way I was going down without a weapon. Sliding a box off the top of a precarious tower, I turned back and placed it on the bed. Rifling through the box until my hand grasped a familiar cold metal. I pulled out a chrome-plated switchblade, the one I bought off my weed dealer back in high school. I flicked the knife in and out a couple times. This'll work. Knife in my back pocket, I stepped towards the doorway, wrapped my grip around the smooth brass doorknob, and pushed open the door. It was darker out here. No windows. I flicked on the light, cold waiting room glow cast over everything. The basement door was still closed, thank God. I crept silently down the stairs, one step at a time. A faint smell, almost like burnt hair and gasoline. Almost. 
Moonlight cast into the living room window. Everything down here was quiet and still. Too still. Like the world was on pause. I stepped into the kitchen, empty. Shaking my head, I pulled open the fridge. Old houses make strange noises, right? I poured myself a glass of milk and took a swig. The taste foul rot filled my mouth. I spewed and spat back into the cup. What the hell? I rinsed out my mouth with tap water and gurgled and spat until the bitter taste was gone. There's no way that milk expired. I checked the date, six days till expiry. Weird. I sat down and wandered over the living room window. Across the street, the neighbor's house was dark. I should have asked Howie if the note leaving his son still lived there. Based on what Howie said, it sounded like the kid needed professional help. Suddenly a light snapped on. Exterior, on the left side of the house. Motion detector. It cast over a cluttered, neglected backyard. The light went dark. Huh? I turned back to head upstairs but stopped. My eyes caught the basement door again. Still open. But something stirred within me. Morbid curiosity, perhaps. I went over and pulled my basement door open. I flicked on the light and stepped forward. Scratchy carpet clawed up the soles of my sock-covered feet. I rounded the corner. More darkness. Fifteen-foot hallway with doors on either side led to an open rack room. I flicked the next light on. Nothing, of course. I stood there for a good ten seconds, the strange pull of curiosity only getting stronger. I pulled out my phone, turned on the flashlight on, and moved forward, stepping around boxes and clutter as well. The strange smell from upstairs was even stronger down here, like gasoline and burnt hair. Maybe there was a leak? Get that checked out tomorrow. Regardless, I pushed forward and stepped into the garage-sized rec room, cold concrete against my feet. I scanned my phone light from left to right until I froze. Stood in the back right corner was a coat rack post. For a second, it almost looked like a person. It didn't belong to me. Someone put it there. I felt sick, angry. Someone broke into my house and put a coat rack in my basement. I marched forward, yanked it off the ground, and stormed back upstairs. I knew exactly who did it. The same person who left the note. It must have been. That was disturbing enough in its own right. Of course, back then, the possibility of the note being a sincere warning never crossed my mind. The chance of something unknown and terrible was about to enter my life and never leave. At this point in time, I was convinced that a malicious trickster was attempting to break my sanity. I snapped the coat rack in half and tossed it in the garage and sat up in the living room until morning. The next day, I installed new security and locks. In hindsight, dismissing the note is the biggest regret of my entire life. Do you guys see what I mean? Like, it's it's a good little booga-booga story. And realistically, you could have that story end right there. And it would just give you enough. It would give you enough to just chew on for a while. Like, I don't know. Like I said, I like to theory craft. I like to come up with my own thoughts and ideas on how a story could be done. Like, that's why I don't mind open-ended stories. Because it allows me to flex my imagination. And, I don't know, almost create my own version of the damn story. But luckily, there are seven more parts to the story, so I think next week I'm going to give up another part of the story. We'll go with part two. I'm not sure how that looks yet. I haven't had a chance to read it. I was that was the When I read that, that was my blind reading of the story. Most of these, I like to do that. I don't, I don't want to read them beforehand. I get an idea. I usually check the comments to see if it's a good story. It's not just a bunch of people freaking memeing on it. But if I get a bunch of comments going whoa that's crazy i will tend to at least record myself reading it for the first time and then if the story is not great i'll just either can it or i'll save it and maybe i'll sit on it for a while and i'll enjoy it but what i really like to see are your guys' stories so 
if you can, and if you got any great stories or even just some true stories, even some spooky stuff that you guys have dealt with in the past or current or future or whatever, anything from your head, I don't care. If you want to send it over to me, you can send it to podcastfear at gmail.com. I tried to make it as easy as possible, easy to remember. There's not like 15 different letters in there. So just podcastfear at gmail.com. Send me over your stories and I will for sure showcase them in uh, one of the other episodes. So that's really going to do it, guys. I hope you enjoyed this spooky stories and come back next week for some more. If you enjoy the show, go ahead and, I don't know, share it. Tell people you like it, maybe even like it, whatever whatever your platform lets you do. I really appreciate it, and I hope to see you next time. And don't forget to always face your fears. Mm-hmm.